Welcome to Let's Talk So Short. My name is Andy McClanahan, and in this episode, my guests and I will be discussing the important and unfortunately all too often overlooked issue of the needs of black children in care. We'll begin by exploring a groundbreaking initiative run by Camden Council to ensure all foster carers are able to meet the hair care and skin care needs of black children and young people in their care. And then we'll widen the discussion out to look at other issues concerning cultural awareness. This is a big topic and I don't expect we're going to cover everything today, so do expect a follow-up episode in the coming months. With me today to discuss these issues are friends of the podcast, James Carbo, Equalities Lead at Camden Council, and Patrice Bentick, member of the Baswell Black and Ethnic Minority Professionals Symposium and Senior Social Work Practitioner, also at Camden Council. Last but definitely not least, we're joined by foster carer Sarah Livingston. Patrice, James and Sarah, welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. How are you doing? Patrice, how are you? It's great to have you back. I'm good. Thank you for having me again. Very excited to be back talking with you. Great. Thank you, Patrice. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I'm very good today. I'm, yeah, a bit nervous, but I'm good. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. (laughs) Uh, James, how are you doing? I am buzzing. Really, really happy to be here. Really excited. The last one was a blast and I know we're going to do a great job today as well. Great. Congratulations on the new role as well. Thank you. So, um, Equalities Lead, that's the new post, yeah? That's right. Yes. And just, uh, that's not specifically a social work post, is it? It's not. So it's a brand new post. um, And essentially, I am supporting the work being done around anti-racism in um, our supporting communities directorate at Camden. Um, So really excited. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And it shows you you where you can go with social work as well. So it's great. It's great. It's a brilliant grounding. Um, and I do believe it's a it's a springboard onto a lot of things if you if you want it to be that. But I'll always be a social worker at heart. So yes, yes. Well, you are still a social worker very much, aren't you? I hope Absolutely. you still get your registration. Yeah. I do, I do. Yes. Good, good, yeah. good, good. Right. So James, Sarah, you have led the development of the Replenish Initiative, and this is a really fantastic scheme, and it's designed to help foster carers properly care for their black foster child's hair and skin. Can you tell me how this initiative came about? So. Um, Andy, you're absolutely right. It's all about supporting black children in care um, with their day-to-day needs um, around their practical care. And what me and Sarah found from talking to carers and being in being in this um, side of things, i.e. fostering, is that there's a gap there. Um, these products can be really difficult to get hold of. Um, so that's number one, is actually bridging that gap and making sure foster carers can get their hands on them. But there's also a lot of cultural nuance um, and I feel that hair care in particular has been um, a very political subject and there's a need really to engage foster carers and the social work profession as a whole in the need to make sure that black children are adequately cared for in terms of you know, having cream and moisturiser for their skin, having access to, to hair products, um, yeah, so we, we just wanted to really bridge that gap and make sure that foster carers have access to these products, but also that it's a conversation that's happening um, around the needs of black children. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think, in my role as um, chair of CAF. And CAF, that's the Camden Association for Foster Carers. It was something that just kept coming up constantly that I uh, when I was speaking to foster carers, some of the complaints that were coming up around the presentation of black children and what I found is speaking to foster carers is that they felt not supported and quite vulnerable when they were looking after black children because it wasn't just it was the hair care stuff but also it was the the knowledge of how to use it um and I think if if you don't have if you're not in that if, if you haven't got somebody in your community that is that knows this sort of stuff it can be quite daunting I would say, to look after a child from a different background than yourself. And um, I found that foster carers were, were feeling, you know, quite, um, they were asking me for advice and things like that. And I was sort of like took this back and thought, well, hold on a minute. There's something that can be done here that it's not just the foster carers that are coming up to me and asking me questions. It can be across the board. So... Then I sort of sat on it for a little while, I thought about it, and then went to James. And me and James both discussed. Me and James had had long conversations about what, what, what being black 
skincare looks like and how the children, the black children can find it more difficult in care because they're losing so much. And on top of that, identity and culture as well, you know, and what, what I found speaking to James is that we, we had this back and forth sort of thing going on where it was really passionate and very like engaging in what we were talking about, about these children, you know, we're living and breathing them every day and we know what they're, what we feel then we believe we know what their needs are. So we saw the gap obviously. And I said to James, look, you know, what do you think of this? Do you think this would work? And James is like, yeah, I think this would be brilliant. We sat on it for a while, didn't we, James? <laughs> no, he did. <laughs> he did, yeah. How long? Did... How long for, Sarah? Go on. I think um, I, myself and Sarah put ourselves under a lot of pressure to get this really right. Yeah. We didn't want to just roll out something that, you know, didn't land. So we, we put a lot of thought into the actual execution. I would say probably the best part of a year we spent mm. going back and forth about, you know, what size of box to use, what what brand of product to use, um, trying to source products that were black owned, um, trying to source products that were accessible and you could maybe order on Amazon and get next day delivery, um, trying to think about what's the best way to get buy-in from the foster carers. So we went back and forth on this over the course of a year, really. We spoke to Patrice. We spoke to other people, um, other social workers, um, and eventually we landed on on Replenish. Um, mm. And it's been overwhelmingly positive, but it's been a journey. But I just wanted to say as well, I think one of the really powerful things about this story is that, you know, in the dialogue around race equality, it's often said that there's a lot of discussion, but nothing ever happens. Nothing ever mm. comes of it. And I think this is a really great example of actually turning discussion into action turning discussion into something tangible um, that, that, you know, we can see and we can say, okay, actually things are changing. This is very different from how it was before. It's a brilliant, it's such a brilliant initiative. I'd reached out to James with a proposal for a different topic of a podcast. I won't mention what it is. It'll hopefully come through eventually, but James has said, that's a good idea, but how about this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a really good idea. Let's talk about that. Patrice, you, um, James mentioned you've been involved in this as well. Do you want to tell us a wee bit about your, your participation? Well, I came in more towards the end. <laughs> okay. Um, but definitely have had really fruitful conversations with both Sarah and James about, you know, how thoughtful we have to be about what goes inside and um, more specifically thinking about the future as well and how we can utilize this and make sure that actually it's not just Camden children who are in care that um, have access to something like this but all black children in care have um, you know have a right to be looked after it's something about how do we ensure as a corporate parent we are just not generically being the best westernized you know white middle class maybe you know corporate parent how do we ensure that we are thinking about all of our children and young people specifically black children who are just um over subscribed to being in care in comparison to other children there is definitely a discrimination there about the amount of children it's about, isn't it about 8% of the care population are black, but 5% of the general population? Is, is that is that right, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so there's over-representation for certain. Um, I mean, hair care, skin care, it's such a personal thing. And I mean, many people, and I'll admit my lack of knowledge here too, you know, many people won't be aware of what the specific hair care and skin care needs of black children are. So can you give me some specific knowledge gaps that you're aiming to address? Like really, you know, just take it from the, you know, the, the ground up here. I had some foster care. Well, I had a foster carer that said to me, was asking me about the hair care. This was before we came up with the boxes. And she said to me, oh, I wash my child's hair every day. And I was like, whoa, no, 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 no. The, the child's not going to have any hair left on her head if you carry on like that. And I think it's just, obviously what works for one child is not automatically going to work for, what works for a, 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 a foster child that's white is not automatically going to work for a black foster child. I'm guessing, Sarah, she thought she was doing the best thing there. Yeah, she thought she was meeting that child's needs and she was doing everything that she needed. And it's not about, we've been very, me and Jane's very clear, it's not about saying you've done something wrong. Sure. It's about saying, look, 
we understand that you didn't have the tools, but now we're giving you the tools to un- to get a better understanding of, of how you look after a black child's skin and hair. That washing the hair every day, what was that actually doing? What was the, the result of that? It was completely stripping the, the natural oils in, in the child's hair, which then would cause probably scalp problems, hair problems. Dry all hair, sorts. And actually, brittle hair, breakage. Sure. Yeah. And putting stress on the child as well, because Afro hair is a lot, it's it, it's it takes a lot of upkeep and you've got to treat the hair properly to get the best results out. And if you're pulling on the child's hair, then you're actually traumatising her. Did the little one know him. that she shouldn't be having her hair washed every day but didn't know to say? No. No? No? Okay. okay. So no. with that, it's something about teaching black children that you can love your hair and this is how you love and look after your hair. In our society... Um, the ideals of around beauty look very different for a black girl. Um, and so, you know, having curlier hair, maybe shorter hair, more ringlets, darker hair, these are not the standards of beauty that uh, black women and black girls will see. So it's educating black girls, this is what you look like and you are still beautiful. Um, this is how you love yourself. And it's okay, you don't have to do anything that will damage your hair to make it look different to what you were born with. Um, And it's something about supporting all foster carers and people in general, whether it's black or white, but specifically educating foster carers. This is how you recognise unhealthy black hair. And not just, oh, how do I maintain this? How do I care for this? Is okay, this is what it looks like when this child, a black child is unkempt versus mm. how a white child would look like if they were unkempt. There's a, a lot of societal pressure as well, Patrice, for black women to, is it relaxed hair, you call it, when you yeah. basically chemically straighten? Um, I mean, in terms of like corporate world and, and the workplace, is that something that, that black women tend to come up against? Yeah, completely. Um, it goes back to the ideals of beauty. We could even take it back to history and our ancestors and slavery and why hair, black hair was seen as not acceptable about covering it up because it was this big bouncy thing. We'd do all these different styles and then it was wrap your hair and try and cover it. Then it was like, oh, you need to straighten it and hot oil it and hot comb it, excuse me, and do all these extra things to make it look like, you know, white hair essentially because that is what is seen as beautiful and anything that is not that is seen as untidy, um, dirty. You know, I, um, just for the listeners, I am a black woman who has locks. I have small locks and there's this huge stereotype around locks being dirty, locks being messy, um, locks being unclean, you having a particular background or your house looking a particular way because you have locks or you might have curly hair and it's about allowing black children to grow up into black adults knowing that how you were born is beautiful and that's okay and it needs to be accepted. Yeah and just off the back of what Patrice is saying there I think it's really important that we engage black children in this discussion around self-love um, it's a discussion that's growing louder and I want I, I really would like to see it coming to black children because I think that there are a lot of negative messages that exist around blackness. I mean, you only have to turn on um, the news and, you know, most recently we've had Tyree Nichols and his murder. Um, and um, like Catrice said, black children are overrepresented in the care system. They're also less likely to be adopted Um, When they are adopted, it takes a lot longer, the research is showing as well. So I think this messaging around, you know, you are worthy, you are beautiful, you know, and engaging them in that discussion is very important. So what we're saying with these boxes is that as caregivers, it's important to transmit um, love and empathy to a child. But with our black children, it's very important that we we go one step further, actually, and actually teach Mm. them how to how to love themselves and give them those messages that, Mm. you know, you're worthy, you're beautiful, you are, you know, everything that everybody else is. Um, 
So I think that's really powerful about these boxes as well. Yeah, I was just going to say, I felt that the boxes to me are, um, it, they're obviously there, they're real, but it's about the conversations that come from the boxes. It's the conversations that the foster carers are going to have with their foster children. It's the understanding of what the foster children need um, around the boxes and, and just branching it out. I just think that the boxes are just a stepping stone to what the big conversations that we need to have about meeting um, the cultural needs of our foster children, the identity needs. I'm I'm um, mixed heritage myself and I was brought up in a white family and I, I really struggled with identity when I got to my teens because I just had no idea who I was. And, you know, what was what I used to try everything that had worked on my mum's hair and my mum's skin and it wasn't working on my skin. It wasn't working on my hair. It's actually damaging my hair and things like that. And it was it was when my when my children, when I started having my children and realising that I needed to obviously approach their identity was when I started looking at what identity meant for me, what culture meant for me and how important it is. And these are the conversations that I want to come out of the boxes that children are held in mind and the the th conversations might be difficult, but they have to come. That's the only way we're going to make change. If we don't have these conversations and we don't listen with our ears open, then nothing's going to change. We'll be still having these conversations in 20, 30, 40 years time mm. because something has to change for our children, for our black children in care, something has to change for them. And such a great gateway into those conversations. And there's so much I want to move on to. But I am just keen, just at the very practical level, just, and um, we haven't touched on it, what's in the box? What are the products that um, black children need for their hair, for their skin, that um, foster carers who aren't black just may not know about? So um, in the box is skin moisturizers. Um, there's also got um, conditioner for hair as well as shampoos. Um, and then there's the kind of protective equipment. So, you know, there's do-rags in the box and also bonnets for the nighttime as well. And all of these are a big education because even for me, you know, um, I've got a 20-month-old, you know, black daughter. And it's been a real education just learning about what her hair needs and how to look after it and protective hairstyles and the like. So, um, yeah, um, the boxes come with cones and brushes as well. Um, and the boxes are replenishable. So when the product's finished, um, Camden has agreed that, you know, for now they will top up the box, top up the products. Um, so yeah, they're a really good start. And, you know, we didn't, we did a lot of research around the brands that we sort of incorporated into the box. Um, just really wanted to make sure that these are brands that actually represent, um, where we're trying to go and as well, um, are accessible. Because that's a big issue with the with the products. Also, I think also price as well was one of them things, isn't it? Because the, it, fundamentally, black products are more expensive than you know uh, anyone can go into Boots and buy a, a a body butter, but it's not also going to cover what you need to do for a black child, and it means that you have to go sometimes to specific shops to get that, and they bump up the price because they know that you need you know that you're going to use it, you're going to go to them to get the product. So financially, you know, there's a big difference between looking after a white child and a black child in care. If you're going to do it properly, the, the financial difference in what you need to do for them children is quite is a lot. I'd also read that during the pandemic, some of the specialist products that um you, that are needed for black hair for black skin, they were sold in specialist shops. So for like you know, Boots the Chemist was able to stay open during the pandemic. Supermarkets were able to stay open, but a lot of the specialist shops were shut. So was there actually a problem during that period of lockdown of actually accessing some products? Well, I would say because <laughs> not caught with not sort of saying any company, but there are companies that you can buy online now. The accessibility is getting better. The prices are still high. Okay. But to actually access these pro these products, it is getting better. Yeah, and Amazon are stocking a lot more products now. Um, I think they had the advantage throughout lockdown of stocking loads of products that they wouldn't have necessarily before. Amazon, there's a, sort of an Amazon addiction amongst some people, myself included, <laughs> that was kind of fueled very much by the lockdown. Yeah. I think for families who live further away so um, foster carers who don't live in a main city um, 
even though I live in London, I still might have to travel some distance to get a particular product for sure. But if you are further away um, in the countryside, it's even more difficult for foster carers to access um, those areas. And, you know, we hear many stories of uh, black children who were fostered interracially or interracial adoptions. They get to, uh, to adulthood and they find life very challenging because there are certain needs that weren't, weren't uh, met in terms of their identity, um, how they connect with other black people because the community, the black community can be harsh sometimes, you know. You automatically see someone and if their foot is a bit dry, yeah, or their hand looks a bit dry, like they haven't creamed their skin, you question, oh, it's something that we look for or we would look at in the black community. So if your hair isn't looked after or your your skin isn't looked after, it's just something that you would stand out. You would stand out. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask you a question? There's, I think there's misconceptions as well around, um, you know, skincare in relation to summertime and sunscreen. Um, sort of some people yeah. will have the misconception that black skin yeah. can't burn. That's not the case. Sure, it's not. No, no. Is that something that needs to be addressed through the replenish box? I think it's definitely something that we need to, you know, I have brought this up before with you, James, haven't I, that I've had foster carers that I've said to them, look, you know, you know, you need to be sort of like putting sunblock on and stuff like that. And they're like, really? Because I suppose it is that, that conception that they don't need to use sunblock. Yeah. And it's another one of those myths, isn't it? That seems mm. quite a powerful one that we need to dispel. This idea that, you know, uh, black skin doesn't burn or, you know, mm. doesn't, um, doesn't, uh, you know, face adverse reactions because of the sun. So I think there's definitely scope to kind of add to the box. Um, and as the seasons pass, yeah. we'll definitely be doing that. And it's finding a sunscreen that is good for black skin as well, because, you know, our tones, we need different, even like with makeup, women and foundation you need a different foundation you need a different uh sunblock because it can leave residue on your look skin quite gray and, oh, so, yeah. and it can make you look gray yeah. so there's yeah there's these all these other th factors that need to be considered and just on the myths that you were talking about james you know um black hair not needing water is another mm. one black people have always been scared to get their hair mm. wet and i think it comes from using relaxers, trying to make it straight. As soon as we have humidity, it makes the hair frizzy and curly. Um, but we need water daily for our hair to really be comfortable and to be at its best. The sun cream one's a terrible one. I have, like, I burn very easily, so I kind of go factor 50 in the summer. But it's that really heavy one, and you put it on, and then you look like you've got, like, you know, um, circus, circus paint yeah. on. Um, and it's the worst yeah. if it gets stuck in your beard, because then you just look, it just looks, yeah. I mean, I don't look good in the sun at any stage, but, um, yeah, yeah. So I totally understand, yes, if the if the sun cream is not anything like your skin tone to start with, um, um, in, the, in the case of black children in care, how, how significant that's going to be. I do think moving forward, we will start looking at what's in the boxes and how we like, I mean, Patrice spoke to me about swimming caps, things like this, because we know, you know, chlorine is like a no-no for black hair. It's really mm. negative. And... You know, we've talked about different, like the as we just said, the sun, the sunscreen, the sunblock, you know, things like this. So it will be something that naturally evolves, I believe. You know, and obviously, mm. we the feedback that we get from our foster carers as well, I think, is really important because they've got the boxes, they've got the first, the first sort of like boxes have gone out. They've got the boxes. When we start getting feedback to what's in the boxes, whether it's working well. This is the reason why on we are going to do a, a, a sort of like a, a link on the website that people can feed into, you know, and a blog and all of that, that they can actually say how they feel about the products that are in the boxes. And me and Patricia spoke um, about maybe looking at them to be more natural, um, you know, because a lot of the hair products these days, the, do you think they're natural when they're not? There's a lot of chemicals in it to make your hair perform a certain way. And that's so we're going to look at maybe making them a lot more natural, a lot more healthy. Um, yeah, so 
I just wanted to say that really. Great, great. James, you had mentioned earlier on, um, you know, the initiative exists to make, to help ensure black children feel beautiful and confident and, and, and understood. You know, tell me, is it too early to say, uh, have you seen any examples of children whose confidence has increased because of the initiative? Yeah. I absolutely have. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> tell me, tell me. So, yes, I have had the um, fantastic feedback from social workers and foster carers following, you know, the boxes being passed on to young people and them using the products. And it's just been so heartwarming to hear about how happy they've been to kind of see the visual graphic on the box. But also inside the box, there's a, a lovely um, booklet. So we worked with a graphic designer um, and the um, the logo is actually made by young people. So we, we ran a workshop and they came up with the design. Um, but overwhelmingly, the reaction has been very, very positive. Um, as we expected it would, because there's there's nothing else out there like this at the moment. And just just something to touch on, I'm very conscious of. I mean, it's for little boys and girls as well. Is there, has there been any? Have you perceived any divide in terms of uh, being received more by girls, or have boys um, kind of seen the, the 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 usefulness of it as well? Absolutely. I mean, we've spoken a lot um, today about the the hair side of things, but absolutely, you know, these boxes are appropriate for boys, and we've been you know making sure the boys get them as well. And, you know, for boys, the whole um, discussion around self-care for boys and men is a really big discussion at the moment. And uh, with these boxes just bring that cultural nuance to it. So for young black boys, it's an amazing thing for them to have a box that contains, you know, skin moisturizer, as well as hair care products and do-rags. Um, I think, you know, they say that compassion begins with compassion for oneself. Um, and I feel like these boxes really encapsulate that. So I think that, you know, this message of teaching young boys and young black girls how to sort of look after themselves is really, really important for mental health, for all round holistic well-being as well. So it's been well received and that's fantastic. Um, is this the first initiative of its type in the UK? Well, myself and Sarah did a lot of research before we ever had a prototype of a box or, you know, anything tangible. And we couldn't come across anything out there um, at the moment. Any Anywhere globally or, or just uh, in the Well, UK? we only looked in the UK, um, okay. but um, I feel fairly certain that this is quite a innovative approach. But here's our, our moment. Potentially world leading. Potentially world leading. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Are there other local authorities that are looking to get in on your on your um, initiative? Well, it's funny you should ask. So we've been inundated with um, sort of great feedback from other local authorities, as well as requests to kind of come and support them to embed this as part of their sort of corporate parenting offer. Wonderful. And is that in London or is that outside London? As well? It's been outside London as well. Um, we've had a, quite a few um, London local authorities have touched base with us, but we have had some um, from outside London as well. What was well. it like getting outside London, James? Amazing. Was, was it? <laughs> when I when I was at my when I was at university, the guys I live with who are from London, it was as if the world just stopped. You know, uh, and there was nothing there. It does. <laughs> yeah, it does. You got to come to Ireland, James. You got to come it over here. It feels like a different country. Get outside and yes, have an outside London. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's wonderful. Though it's really great. It's great that there's so much interest in it as well. Uh, I think that's fantastic. So yes. I wish you... We've also had feedback from the foster carers as well and the foster children. I think James is going to sort of come on to that. That we got. I received some really nice videos of children opening their boxes and squealing with delight. And like my own foster child, as soon as he opened his box, he was like straight into it, looking at everything. Because he'd been a part of the process because of the graphic design, we'd held two workshops where... Um, Black looks after children went to the workshops to come up with the design for the boxes. So it's quite personal to them that they're actually seeing all of their fruits of their labour is actually moving on to something that then they've got tangible in their hands. It's co-production, as it gets called in social work, and that's a yeah. wonderful example of it being Absolutely. done yeah. really, really yeah. well. Would you? I've seen the graphics. Um, you can describe it as a sort of retro kind of looking uh, um, approach. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, neon kind of. Yeah, yeah, very eye catching. I would say, you know, mm -hmm. and every single aspect of that is, you know, made by the young people. They came up with that together. Um, and I think that just adds a really nice touch to the boxes. Wonderful. Now, I'm kind of keen to move on. 
it's been right from the start of the conversation, Sarah was saying, you know, this is a way of talking about other issues of cultural awareness and needs. Now, hair care and skin care, it's a very, very important one. It's something you see straight away, but it's one of many, many issues. And so there's other things I'm kind of keen to talk about. But well, first of all, I'll ask Sarah instead of just me going off on one. Sarah, what other issues um, are you encountering around cultural awareness that you think need to be addressed better? in, in relation to social workers supporting foster carers to to better look after the kids in their care, I think I think foster carers as I can't uh, foster carers I think need to think outside the box a little bit sometimes. I think sometimes they believe as long as they're feeding a child, clothing a child, and looking after a child, that's enough. And I think what needs to, what what needs to come through is that you have to start thinking outside the box a little bit about what that child's fundamental needs are. And I mean, I've spoken to Patrice about this. We've done a little bit of a conversation about this around identity uh-huh. and culture. And, you know, it's about, it's it's simple things that you can start off with. It's about food. You know, if I, if I ask you, Andy, when you think about your identity and what that means to you, you think, you go back and you think about things that you have brought from your past forward that makes you who you are, Andy. Foster children sort of like, I suppose, lose that when they come into care. So the sounds, the music, we had a conversation earlier about music, the music, mm. the sounds, the smells, the, the noises. The sayings and the phrases um, that people would use culturally. Yeah. Um, the little meaningful things, you might not hear that anymore yeah. in foster care. Yeah. And that is, you know, I think foster children lose, They foster children on a whole, you know, they're literally you know, plucked from what they know and and put into another family that is completely different to what, you know. it. We'd like to believe that all foster children are matched and, you know, that, that you're going to get the same families that are going to be quite similar to their identity and their culture. And, it, it you know, it doesn't always happen. And that means that we have to start thinking of our ways, whether it is that you have to start looking at people in your own community that might be quite similar and get some feedback from them, what it is that, you know, they, you know, whether it's food or, you know, I said to James, you know, in the summer, I think moving these replenished boxes on a little bit, we should have a cookout where, you know, we invite all the foster carers and we bring things that we would normally do. I know that my family do it and we're huge on it. We bring food and have a barbecue and there's music playing and we've got the big speakers and, you know, it's, it's a big family event. And I think, you know, if we start looking at what it means to be black and how we incorporate that. And t- I wouldn't say teach our foster carers, but say to them, look, you know, it's all right to ask the questions. Nothing is taboo anymore. This is what, you know, I feel that a lot of people think that then they don't like asking the questions in case they offend. Sure. There's, but there's also the, you know, the opportunity to really enrich your own experience, you know, by opening yourself yeah. up to other cultural things. And food, I think food is the one for me, kind of, it strikes me most immediately. Um, you know, I was kind of laughing earlier on, you, you probably saw me when you're talking about identity and I'm always thinking kind of in Ireland, food is not always the, the most kind of, uh, what do you say? Flamboyant. It's not, yeah, okay, yeah, you but got it. Yes, yes, yes. Still. Uh, it's still it's your food, sure, right? sure. Sure, sure. But when I think, when you think of kind of around the UK kind of population, I mean, the United Kingdom and Ireland as well, you know, there's a huge amount of influence um, in terms of European foods, Italian, you think in particular, French, Spanish. And I suppose the point being is, you know, you see a bit of more influence from Caribbean cooking coming in, but I'm kind of thinking of um, North African cooking as well. But, you know, thinking of kind of sub-Saharan Africa, not a huge amount of influence. So that I'm guessing for uh, a lot of um, foster carers who aren't black may be another massive knowledge gap um, that needs to be addressed. I think so, Andy. And you've just touched on something there, because I think that sometimes blackness can be seen as a single story. Um, and it's really important to say that, you know, it's not a monolith. Like blackness to me varies from what blackness means to Sarah, varies from what blackness means to Patrice. You know, my parents are from Sierra Leone, West Africa. So mm. for me, it's about jell-off rice, big stew, you know, palm oil, <laughs> okay. like really heavy food, you know. Um, sure. That is a big part of our culture, you know, going to church on a Sunday, listening to a certain type of music. But there's a lot of nuance in that. And I think for me, the overriding thing with identity is that it's different for each person. 
mm. you know, and, and that mm. is where it comes back to the conversation and the exploration with a child, because in social work, we talk about life story work. Um, but are we bringing that cultural nuance to that life story work, or is it a life story framework that is made for a particular type of person? So I feel like that's where we have room to really develop the profession. I'm just thinking, Patrice, James, then in your roles as social workers and James, when you were working, you know, more directly with children, you know, have, would you have seen examples of where young uh, people were placed in a, in a foster care family where their cultural needs just weren't being met in relation to food in particular? And, and what, what was the impact of that? Absolutely. I mean, I've definitely seen that in my capacity as foster and team manager placements where, you know, young people from, let's say, Sudan or, you know, a part of Africa are placed with a foster carer um, who is not familiar with that culture. And actually, you know, food becomes a real bone of contention. Um, it's one of the most familiar things about home. This concept of home is so strongly linked to the food we eat. And I think that as a foster care, it's really important that you're willing to do the work. So it's about knowing where your gaps are and knowing how you're going to bridge those gaps. And, mm. you know, I feel like it can be a very pressurized role fostering. And I think foster care has come under a lot of scrutiny. Yeah. Um, but we are not looking for perfect foster carers. We're looking for carers who are willing to go that extra mile and familiarise themselves with something completely different to be able to support that child. I think um, it's something about being child-led as well. So I've had children when I was holding a caseload myself and also when managing social workers. We have children who know how to cook their home food and are willing to take their carers out to, to explore that. But... Um, haven't been allowed the space to do that at home um, and you know cooking as a family is sometimes part of culture as well and um, when it comes to developing independence for some of our teenagers that's huge you know it's a huge part of reliving some of that um, especially for our unaccompanied uh, minors and our unaccompanied young people who are very new to the UK they find it incredibly difficult to settle because the food is so different um, most of my African friends that are adults will say a sandwich is a snack it's not something that you have as a meal it's what is that you know they don't they don't consider it does anybody actually think a sandwich is a meal though honestly I mean not so I'm trying to be I'm kind of being a bit silly yeah. but I mean someone gave me a sandwich and I no thanks no that's not a meal right but, but even yeah sorry even when my little one asks for a sandwich and now I pack it out with something else I put up stuff on it because to me you it might isn't toast a meal it, you know you yeah the cold thing the cold yeah. flat yeah. thing is not yeah. necessarily something that they would choose I had a young young person tell me the other day you know potatoes I said are you allergic to anything he said potatoes I said are you allergic or is it that you just don't like it and well it makes me sick I don't eat potato I've never eaten potatoes before in Nigeria we have this we have that like what is that you know I've had young people complain and say my foster carer doesn't feed me but oh. foster carer does feed him and has fed him but his idea of food is so different to what he was receiving and his carer was black African Senegalese but he was black African Eritrean and so that's, I mean that's a big difference. difference big geographical difference massive geographical difference the food yeah. how they yeah. would eat slightly different and it's the same thing with Caribbean islands we have things that we know are the same and we like mm. but depending on where you're from you have little delicacies that just might bring that feeling of home to you mm. where other islands wouldn't necessarily have that James Patrice um, and Sarah as well if you if you, you want to jump in on this one too we've talked a lot around about you know the impacts that has on um, black children and young people when cultural um, their cultural needs aren't being met but I want to look at specifically what it means in relation to confidence and self-esteem you know it's never easy 
um, being a young person and particularly I can't imagine how challenging it is to be a young person in care and then if you're a young person in care um, who's being raised in a context where your cultural needs aren't being met that's going to again have further impact so looking at those issues confidence self-esteem what are the issues you're seeing as social workers some of the issues that I'm seeing are in relation to black children and young people being able to navigate society um, there's so much there's so many there are so many issues surrounding yeah unconscious bias and racism but um not always that covert sometimes overt and what that is what um how that manifests in the experience um I think the role of a corporate parent, of any parent, but of course a corporate parent, is being able to prepare them for society that sometimes is not for them. That experience can be really um, oppressive, as we know, can really get in the way of progression. Um, and unfortunately, that is part of the black culture, that is part of the black identity and how we think about supporting children to prepare for that in advance so it doesn't become such a barrier to progression or doesn't come such a barrier to um, them maintaining confidence, maintaining self-love, you know, maintaining the things that we know other children have and enable them to thrive. But it is such a such a terrible situation that you're having to prepare young people for a society which isn't going to work for them, you know, and acknowledging that, that that is, you know, you're working to overcome a barrier. Um, but then I guess, you know, there's also the much bigger structural um, work that is addressing those barriers and taking them away. And there's, you know, there's work that social workers can do at the grassroots, which is what you're talking about, um, Patrice, but there's also the work that needs to be done, you know, at societal level, which... Organisations like Basel does um, do to try to address those issues as well, but yeah, it just it just strikes me as a real like as a real crying shame that that is something that you have to work to prepare young people for. Otherwise, they would you know that there will be pitfalls for them if they yeah. don't. And um, me and Jane spoke about this earlier, literally about three hours ago. We had a conversation around this, and it's just that we you know there is another level that you have to um, take your black foster black looked after children too they have to understand how to communicate outside the home how to communicate mm -hmm. with authority teachers yeah. um because there's this this thing that if a black person raises their voice it's they're aggressive they're un cooperative you know and mm. <clears throat> you know you have to i know with my own son who's now a big man himself I, you know, he used to come in and be so angry sometimes because he'd literally a 10 minute walk from school. He'd been stopped three times in the rain and they've told yeah. him to step out of his trainers and stand in his sock, in his soaking socks. And then he's had to walk home that way. And then he comes in and he's angry and he's frustrated. And what I, you know, you have to say, look, this is, this is reality. This is going to happen sometimes. We don't like it and we don't want it to happen, but it's going to happen sometimes. And and teach our young children how to deal with that, rather than going and how out. to be safe. Yes, yeah, and how to be safe. And it's sad. And we know some of the incidences where um, police have hurt black people, but I think it's little things like teaching black children their rights. Yeah, child teaching black children this is how you speak eloquently in these situations so that you can be heard truly what you're saying. This is how you can make it home safely today. You know, it's sad that we have to have those conversations, but still they are really, really important. And those are the things that, you know, foster carers just might not think about. Yeah. Not that they don't want to ensure that black children are okay, they just might not think about. Like Sarah, earlier you were talking about um, white foster carers being reluctant to take on black children mm. when they're aware of the complexities that um, they will be faced with or the barriers that they have to overcome. You do have foster carers who are not aware. Mm. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know, right? 
And it's something about trying to educate people to consider those things. I want to take it way back to the start. James had talked about um, black children being less likely to be adopted. Is there an awareness among the young people you've worked with and the children you've worked with that black children are less likely to be adopted? Is that something which actually seeps into the psyche of, of uh, young black children in care? I, I want to jump up here and say it does because I feel like if you're a black child in care and you've been in foster care for quite a long time, you know, a considerably longer time than than you're supposed to have been there, then there's no way that messaging will not seep in. I think you will become aware. And I think the, the really complicated part is perhaps when you're an adult and you're trying to make sense of why your journey was the way it was, I think that's where you're going to have a lot of question marks. Well, hang on, why wasn't I claimed? Why was I, you know, long-term fostering? Um, why, why was I not adopted? And you're going to have a lot of questions and sometimes you may not have anywhere to go with those questions. And that's where it becomes this internal battle around, you know, was I not good enough? Was I not worthy, worthy of anybody claiming me? You know, and that's where I say that, you know, identity really is a journey, you know, and I feel like for black children, they're navigating that journey on top of operating um, within a racist society. And some people may not like to hear that, but I think the reality for, for many black children and many black people is that we do battle racism on a daily basis. Um, and so if this box does anything, is to counteract some of that negative messaging that will undoubtedly seep in, because I think children are a lot sharper than we give yeah. them credit for. I think especially, especially they've had to be, that's, well. they, they've yeah. had to be to survive. This is a trauma. They're heightened. They're more sensitive to. Yeah. 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 Just to, to finish up, the, there's one last point I wanted to ask about, and it's basically about how you can, you know, how can foster carers combat a sense of difference or alienation that a black child may feel um, if they're placed with a foster family who aren't black? You know, um, in terms of um, ensuring that children can engage um, with black role models and with communities that are similar to them, how do you do that? Because I mean, I imagine um, as a foster carer, you yourself may feel trepidatious about making mistakes. You might feel nervous about doing the wrong thing. What's the best way to go about doing that? Especially, I'm thinking if you're in a part of the country, perhaps where you know it's predominantly white, um, and there isn't, uh, th there aren't any significant black communities close to where you are. Um, how do you how do you do that well? I think the first thing is you have to be honest and you have to just say it. I have always respected um, where white people around me just say, you know what, I don't understand and I'm not going to understand or this is the difference or this is how it is. You have to just be honest first, especially if, you know, not even, I mean, if, if they've grown up in a black area before or with a black family, they've come into care late, they're going to be aware of it. You may have children that have come into care really early on and they're not aware of a huge difference, but you have to let them know because they will eventually be aware. So I think it's first, first thing is to talk about it, be open to the conversations, no matter how daunting it might be, no matter how scared you are to say the wrong thing. You have to first converse before you start trying to solve all these things. I can't remember the source, but I remember reading something quite recently and it was about a double sense of alienation. So Black Child was fostered by a white family. Um, so they, they were loved. It was a loving environment, but they knew they weren't, you know, they were different from their family, their foster family. But then because they grew up with a white foster family in an all white area, they felt completely alienated from black communities and they were scared and nervous about engaging then. And that, that being a, a massive problem. So it's that double alienation um, and then being yeah. left incredibly isolated. And it ends in suicide a lot of the time. We have a lot of um, black people committing suicide as adults who have been through interracial adoptions or interracial foster care and haven't had those difficult conversations. Um, and I know, Sarah, you talk a lot more about bringing other black role models, but you but you do have to have someone else black there. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. There, you, there is something that you will not be able to... Fulfill. Um fulfill not being black is impossible well, um yeah 
I definitely think, and I think, you know, on the back of the replenish boxes, what we, what I noticed is that when we actually done the graphics for the, and bringing all of these black foster children together, looked after children together, there was something that was quite magical in all of that. And <clears throat> what me and my vice chair, we sat in the meet, um, in the workshop with our children and everything like that. And what, what we found is that it was a powerful space. And then we thought, right, we're going to build on that. We're going to put time aside in the holidays for all of these children to come together. Not just black children, but foster children come together so that they can meet other people. And then on the back of that, you've got foster carers that are mixing with maybe foster carers that they've never mixed with before that are culturally the same as their children. So it's about, they might not have the people in their community, but we'll give them the community. You know, we can do that. We're lucky we live in London. You know, we can do that. We can give them the community. We can, we can you know, bring food and, and get them to see what, what, you know, what they should be looking towards, you know, and hopefully linking foster carers up with other foster carers. You know, we done the box, Andy, and we presented the box at the consultation day, which is a day for foster carers all to come together and find out what's going on in Camden and, you know, what, what fostering are doing. And it's a really nice day for foster carers to come together. And in that, we, pres we sort of presented the boxes, me and James, and we, I had foster carers coming up to me going, I know about hair. I can plait hair. I can do this. I can do that. And I was like, give me your number. And th this is the day, hopefully, that we're going to now put everything together to have, like, I suppose it would be a foster, a fostering community day that we can start looking at how we branch out of that. And we might not have all, I might not have all the answers, but I'm damn sure that somebody within that community will have suggestions that we can run with. That's wonderful, Sarah. Thanks. And, that's, and I think that's a really, really positive and encouraging point to end. I said at the start, there's going to be stuff we didn't get to talk about. We are going to come back and we're going to do this again. There's going to be other issues we want to talk about. So Sarah, James, um, Patrice, thank you so much for joining me uh, on Let's Talk Social Work. It's been great having you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having me. Andy, thank you for giving us the platform. This is really important. And I would like to believe that hopefully in time, Every black child, every black foster child, or every looked after black looked after child will have one of these boxes wherever they come from, and know that we we hold them in mind. Mm -hmm.